help if I recorded, <laughs> that we're looking at the church on earth. That the whole book of it is about the acts of the apostles uh, and the church by the Holy Spirit. And I'm getting, can someone, can someone grab me a rock? Jake, you want to grab me a rock, please, bud? Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, though. Thanks, buddy. This wind is getting everywhere. But we saw in the beginning Jesus' ascension, and then there was the attempt by the, the to fulfill that apostolic role by the rest of the apostles. They used their lots, they drew straws basically, and their human wisdom to pick a couple of good guys to choose from, uh, kind of like an election. Um, but it didn't work. Uh, instead, the chief shepherd, Jesus, would choose Paul, someone who they would have never chosen in a million years because he was out murdering the church. And like 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's when Samuel was tasked at anointing the next king of Israel. And he went to the sons of Jesse. And they all looked great, but none of them were the king. It was the little boy David who is out in the field, who the dad didn't even think worthy enough to call in for this. Um, but that's who God wanted. And I think we could take that and think that and hold that close to our hearts today because that's what God uses in the church. Those who the world, who don't look like much to the world. But we saw Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down and the tongues of fire. And that's when the church was really born. The church can't really be the church without the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples went out, they spread the gospel throughout the region, through other regions. Remember Philip and Ethiopian eunuch, the gospel went back to Africa. Uh, there was persecution, and the Jews were spread throughout uh, all of Asia Minor and uh, really Europe. Uh, there was faith, there was healing, there was also death. Remember Ananias and Sapphira when they lied to the Holy Spirit? They lied about how much money they were giving. They didn't have to say how much they were giving. They could have just said, oh yeah, we gave half of it. It would have been just as fine. Um, but then also there was uh, holiness, sobriety, and there was church growth. That the church grew, that when Peter, an unlearned fisherman, shared the gospel under the power of the Holy Spirit, who uh, not much earlier had denied Jesus three times, now he's preaching and thousands of people come to the Lord that day. Uh, but Paul ends up coming to faith. He meets Jesus on the road, as we saw. He has his missionary journeys. The church uh, becomes known throughout the land for good things and also because the world just hates the church. Many Jews and also Gentiles come to faith that, yes, this is, uh, they were, these were Jews. Jesus was Jewish. But that this faith is not just for the Jews. It's, it's completed when all people of all nations and tribes and tongues come in and come under the roof of it. But they, uh, one thing that set the early church apart was that they had a real sense of urgency to share the gospel. Uh, that they had a real community within the church. Uh, so much so even to a fault in Jerusalem when they all began to sell everything they had and share it amongst each other. And ended up kind of failing and then other churches had to support them. But they really had this sense of community that they were together in the gospel. That their family of Jesus' blood was closer than the family of their own blood and not to say that you neglect your family but to say that you realize that man if my family my true family like jesus said my who are my mother brothers and sisters and all that are the people who are doing the will of god that's our real family but they had genuine faith in jesus amongst the world that was full of idols full of idolatry full of religion um, that got them nowhere but previously we saw paul preach to gentiles he was rejected by them he was on trial. He uh, preached to kings and rulers. He appealed to Caesar. Remember, then he went, set sail for Rome, and they wanted to get there before winter, and the soldiers and the, the boat owners were in a rush, and that got them in a lot of trouble. But God saved them all, and that was a whole miracle in and of itself that we won't really spend time on today. We spent enough time on it the other day. But they had favor from God on this boat, and the people began to see God work through Paul and through saving them and through uh, the other guys who are with Paul um, in the midst of this. That these guys, God didn't save them out of having a tough storm, but he used them in that storm to be a witness to those people. And Lord, we pray that God, is, as you send us out, as we hear your word, that God, you would send us out to our neighbors, to our friends, to our coworkers, that despite what we go through, that they would see that we have faith in you, that we don't have to be perfect 
but that we know the one who is perfect. And when we do sin, we ask for forgiveness. We, we repent, we change course, and we have the freedom to do so in you. And God, we pray that the world would come to know you in these last days, that your word would go out through your people, through the Bible, that God, whether they hear it or not, that they truly would uh, listen. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And this morning, the title of this message is, They Will Hear It. They Will Hear It. And we'll pick up in Acts chapter 28, and we'll read the first 10 verses. It says, When they had escaped, uh, they learned that the island was called Malta. The escaping means they just got off the boat, and they survived and made it to land. But they had escaped, and uh, they learned the island was called Malta. The natives showed extraordinary kindness, and they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because of the rain and cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened on his hand. And when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, Surely this man is a murderer. Uh, though, uh, and they're not really wrong, are they? Though he had escaped from the sea, justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But while they waited and saw no harm befall him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. That's, that's an interesting story. Uh, and in that uh, area was an estate of a chief man in the island named Publius, who had welcomed us and courteously housed us for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with a fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and uh, placing his hands on him, prayed and healed him. When this happened, the rest on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They honored us in many ways, and when we sailed, they provided us with necessary supplies. So we see here again that they land at the island of Malta. Uh, this is south of Italy, north of Libya, if you know your geography. But this island is only 17 miles long and 9 miles wide. Easily would fit between here and downtown Helena. You know, you probably drove over several Maltas just getting here this morning. But it was a tiny place. And I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill, but God used this tiny place in a big way here. Uh, he saved these guys. They had the shipwreck, and they shipwrecked on a tiny little island in the middle of nowhere. And God works in many ways. And one way that God likes to work is he likes to use small things. I mean, he made us out of dirt, right? He didn't make this fantastic looking robot. He took dirt and formed it into organs and a body and breathed on it and it came to life. Uh, he uses things that are not loved on by the world. He finds the one sheep out of the 99 and goes after them. Uh, he finds people who are of low degree, right? He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That we don't have to be great, swelling, amazing, smart, intelligent people, talented people, God can use our talents, God can use our intelligence, but honestly, when the world looks on to the people that God uses, it's usually not the Einsteins. It's usually not the Stephen Hawkings. It's usually the lowly person who lived on a farm, who grew up without a dad. Like Dr. Stanley passed away recently. Poor little kid from the, you know, poor little kid. His dad wasn't around. His mom had many husbands who were abusive. And God chose this little boy who was alone. And use him in, in big, uh, great ways. Like David, out the one who was shepherding the sheep. In Zechariah 4.10a says, For who has despised the day of small things? That It's been said, don't despise the day of small things. A lot of times, especially in our day and age, everyone wants to get famous overnight. If it's not this big, amazing thing, you're making a million bucks, have a million followers overnight, it's not worth it. You're unhappy. It's not important. But God says, don't despise the day of small things. And some of my most special memories are I have when things were small. I mean, we all have great memories when we were small. Having, hopefully, we have some memories of being a kid if our childhood wasn't so awful that we have something we can cling to. But I remember the church plant in New York and coming to first coming to know the Lord and how small it was and how genuine it was. How many, God bless you, how many memories I had there and, and reading and not having any friends because they, they didn't like that I had come to Jesus and I wanted to share Jesus with them. And being alone in my room, reading the Bible, just it was a special time. Uh, uh, early days of meeting my wife, you know, that early love, right? It just, it's so special. It's a little thing. You barely know each other, but it's this amazing thing. Uh, the first moments with my newborns, holding them. I remember holding Mia and just crying, you know, like, what do I do? <laughs> no, but just so overwhelmed and blessed that God would give me 
a child after all my days. And then as each of these other ones come, I remember meeting them each when they first came out and I'm holding my finger and all just little memories, little things. Because things don't need to be big for them to be of God. And I think we tend to focus on the numbers. We tend to focus on the followers. We tend to focus on the size, on the dollar, on the chairs, on the reach. And we say, if it's bigger, it must be of God. And not that God doesn't use those things. God uses many things and many churches and many ministries that are huge. Billy Graham, Franklin Graham. Um, who's the guy with this all the time? Pastor Jack. Big church, world reach. He's on the news and everything. God uses these things, and they're absolutely of God, so don't get me wrong. But they need to be holy. And a lot of times, big things can get in the way of holy things. And they can be full of distraction. Remember when we were in New York, we moved from setting up every week of the church to uh, moving into uh, our own building. And it was just, things changed. Things changed. And we got we sorted it out after a while. But it was a little, a little tough. I think it was a little bit easier to be holy when you guys are all talking and setting up the chairs and serving together than it is when you get, you get down and get distracted and like, well, the paint's not good on the wall. Well, do you remember the paint at the school? The paint at the school was awful. <laughs> we didn't care about it then. We only cared about uh, serving the Lord at the time. I think when things are small, sometimes it can be easy to make it about the Lord. It can also be easy to be overwhelmed by not being big, by not having the things you need. But I think it's easier sometimes to look at the Lord in that. When your bank account is small, it's easier to pray than when your bank account is big and it's, you can just write that check. And what do I know? Uh, and maybe that's why I don't uh, understand the modern church. Maybe I don't understand much at all. But these things like church launches where they need a certain number of people, I get it. It makes it easier. Where they need so much money in the bank or they need so many donations. But is it just that maybe... They despise the day of small things somehow? That they need a billboard to start? I mean, what do I know? Obviously, I don't know. But sincerely, are we despising these things in the last days? Does everything need to be flashy and big? And I don't know. But these locals that they found on Malta, they were above and beyond friendly. And they were, don't get me wrong, they were friendly people in New York, but New York is a different kind of friendly. <laughs> New York is, a, is the kind of place you have a flat tire and you break down the side of the road, someone will get out of their car and yell at you for being on the side of the road, but then they'll help you change your tire, right? While other places, they might say, you know, oh, hi, how you doing? But they won't stop and change. So New York's funny that way. But I can remember moving to Montana and just how friendly people were um, and how different it was and how I turned out to be ruder than I realized I was because of the politeness of people. But that's what these people are like. They were locals. They weren't believers. But they were friendly. It was raining. These people had shipwrecked. And these people were prisoners. And they still came out and helped them and helped them get started. Uh, but they had some religious ideas that were wrong. They thought that bad things happened to bad people. Uh, and they also believed in justice. They thought that justice, the God of justice, would catch up with you. And so Paul is making a fire and he sticks his hands in a big pile of sticks like we have over there. And what happens? A snake comes out and bites him. Just bite him, but it hangs on. So Paul's probably doing this, and it's hanging on to him, right? And that's got to hurt. I've never been bit by a snake or someone else before with fangs and teeth. It hurts. Um, and so they saw this, and I love how they just stood back, and they're all like, "Ah, oh, this guy's a prisoner on a boat, and he gets bitten by a snake." You know, no one rushes over to help him. They all just kind of stand back and start pontificating about why this is happening to the man, as opposed to let's get the snake off of him. Uh, and he, he's not harmed. So they stand back and they wait for his body to swell. They wait for him to puff up. They're kind of waiting to see what kind of reaction he's going to have. No one grabs their EpiPen to run over there. They just wait to see if he puffs up and dies. And then when he doesn't die, <laughs> then they go, oh, he, he must be blessed by the gods. He must be a god because anyone else should have died from this thing right here. And so their, their religion was based very much on, on Bad things happen to bad people, bad things, karma is going to come get you. But then when it didn't happen, they immediately exalted this person to be a god. And what a fleshly thing it is to look on the outside like that and have these very naive arguments about why things happen and, and what the result of them are. You know, again, appearances can be deceiving. Uh, in Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says, You've heard that it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that uh, 
that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. That God allows it to rain on our yard just as much as our neighbor's yard. Whether they're just or we're unjust, we get rain. And I think a large part of our problem is that we ascribe to people a value of being good. We say people are good. Well, by what measure do we say that people are good? Are we better than them? Are they better than us? Do they only get drunk once a week? Well, you know, they get drunk seven times a week. Like, does that make us better than them? We have this wrong idea and notion of what's good and what's just and what's right. Because honestly, if we take a biblical view in it, we are all unjust. As Isaiah said, my righteousness is as filthy rags. That we are all equally deserving of it to not rain on us. And so when we look at things in the world and say, it happened to them because they're a good person, that's not why it happened. Sometimes it just happened. And when we look through Proverbs, as we've been doing, we see that sometimes quite the opposite is true. Sometimes the evil people get all the goods. Sometimes bad things happen and there's no justice at all. And one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 73, talks about that, that when uh, Asaph went and was, in a sense, jealous of the wickedness, he's like, I'm, I'm righteous. I, I try to be righteous all the time, and I've shared this many times, so I love it. I harp on it. But he tries to do good all the time, and nothing's working out for him. And yet the wicked people go about their wicked life, and everything goes well. they got money in the bank. They've got job offers. They've got this. They've got that. And he goes, why, God? And then it says he goes to the house of God, and he goes, oh, yeah. They're end up going to end up in hell. You set them in slippery places, God. He remembers that their end is not as good as their right now. And David Guzik, in his commentary, says, The natives were convinced that justice had finally caught up with this prisoner. That justice is actually a reference to the Greek goddess of justice, uh, Dike. The natives, knowing Paul was a prisoner, assumed he committed a great crime, and the goddess of justice would not permit Paul to escape unpunished. So while they were nice people, they went out and did a good thing for these people. They then stepped back and watched to see what their God would do with Paul and the other people. And some churches have made a doctrine of Paul being bitten by a viper. They will take a snake into service. They will hang from the chandeliers. They'll do all sorts of crazy things to test God. And they take Luke 10, 19 out of uh, context. They say, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you, right? They think that, okay, well, because Jesus said that, we can go around and play with snakes and nothing's going to happen and it proves our faith and it proves our God. I think the only thing it proves is that you're dumb. <laughs> it proves you're foolish. If my, you know, I was talking to my wife the other night about something. She's like, I think foolish is a better word. I'm like, no, I think stupid is pretty <laughs> <laughs> my wife's a little more gracious than I am at times but that we're not to test God we're not to purposely go grab a snake or Curtis at work and not to go purposely grab the power line and say I've got a God who's more powerful than electricity and grab it or to do something dangerous like Satan said to Jesus throw yourself off the temple roof the angels will guard you doesn't know what the scripture says Jesus but instead, we are, to, we are to rest assured that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. That Jesus trampled the head of the serpent at the cross. But I believe what the Lord is telling us is that we have some sort of special grace in service, in ministry. That the things that happen to us, as has been said many times uh, by other pastors, that I, I always kind of bother me, even now I want to say it, that their father filtered. That God allows these things to happen to us as his children, as a father. I try not to let anything happen to my children other than I want to allow them. If he's up on the fence and it's looking kind of risky and I've told him it's to be risky, well, I'll let him learn a little bit by slipping and falling or not, you know? But if it's otherwise, I'll get in the way. But that when we're in ministry, God allow when we, even without ministry, even just knowing the Lord, anything that happens to us as a believer, God's allowed to happen to us. Just like with Job, right? It's to strengthen us, it's to encourage us, it's to bring others to faith. Uh, there's many reasons for things that happen to us, including just we live in a broken, sinful world. So things happen. Paul was shipwrecked, remember? Paul was beaten almost to death, or maybe even died at one point. He was falsely accused and tried. He was sent on these boats to Rome. He was beaten. He was eventually will be martyred. Paul doesn't live out his life in luxury. He ends up getting killed for the gospel. 
But in that, God is greater than it all. And all those things happened to Paul when God allowed it to happen to Paul. Paul would not die before God allowed him to die, is the point I'm trying to make. That when things happen to us, you're not going to die before God allows it. Now, if you want to go jump off the building without a parachute, well, God allowed it, but it wasn't his time for your life, if, the, if you follow. But that God will get us through these things, and that it's an honor to receive these shipwrecks, these cursings, these things, the, the snake biting your hand, right? Paul's hand hurt. Paul could have died, but God didn't allow it to die for a reason. And it was to be identified with Jesus in these ways, that Jesus was bitten by the snake, and he didn't die, right? He is life. But sometimes in service, that special grace does come through, that the viper does bite and does latch on, and nothing happens to us in our life. Those false accusations don't stick to us. Those condemnations of the devil don't have any uh, bearing on our life because we remember the scripture. We don't have to defend ourselves because God is our defense. Sometimes that person that gets out to get us fails, and God uses what they use to curse us as a blessing for us. I can remember years ago, um, there was a ministry that came to town, and we did an outreach in the city of Newburgh. I might have mentioned this before. It's a pretty rough town. There's actually Bloods and Crips there. There's the gangs. And we went out at night and we did these little pop-up gospel hip-hop presentations. I didn't do hip-hop, but they did. And we were part of the gospel team. And we walked around sharing the gospel with these people, many of whom were gang members and gang bangers. It's one of the most dangerous places in the country. And we shared the gospel. And people came to faith. And we ministered to others. Whether they came to faith or not, not the point. We walked around. But at one point, I was walking around. I got separated from the crowd. I'm walking. I hear them off in the distance, and I'm walking. And I'm walking down a dark street, you know, the row houses. It's the ghetto. And I'm walking, and there's people on the stoops, and I'm just some white guy walking down there. And I'm fine. I just, I hate to say it in a weird way, but I felt like there was, like, this bubble around me. And I'm walking. I started talking to a few people. I talked to a person probably were possessed, probably was just homeless or crazy or something, but they were off. And I get back to the crowd, and I thought nothing of it. And then a couple days later, I'm thinking... Wow, the Lord really had his hand on me. Because any other time, me walking down that road in the middle of the night probably would not have ended so well. Probably would not have been so easy as me turning the corner and going somewhere else. Why didn't the gangbangers on that street see me, who obviously doesn't belong there, and do something to me? I don't know. Well, it had to be the Lord. And that's what I talk about special grace, is that even when you're out there, you're not intending necessarily to do something stupid. But you're doing something, sorry, foolish, dumb, you're out there doing something that's not normally appropriate, but you're there for the reason of God, and God provides a special grace. Paul's out there, he gets bitten in the hand, and he doesn't die. Um, and that's a witness to them. That's a witness to them that sin has no power over their lives. And they were right. Paul was a murderer, right? He did murder people in the church. He did drag them off. But justice didn't have her way with Paul. Justice had her way with Jesus, and Jesus' mercy was on Paul. But Publius, that's a good name, right? Publius, should we name the baby Publius? It's a good Roman name. I remember taking Latin class in high school and learning names like Publius. My name was Tachinus. Uh, but it was a Roman name. I'd assume he's a Roman citizen, a bit like an official or somebody Roman on the island that could be the ambassador back to Rome because it was a Roman territory. But just like God used Julius, God's now using Publius. Uh, Timon and Publius, but more favor from God through the pagan Romans, that God was using these people of the Roman Empire, of the worldly empire, of arguably Satan's empire, to bless Paul. They were open to things of God. They weren't believers, but they were open to things of God. Uh, and his father was sick, and Paul prayed, and his father was healed, and many others were brought to him. It brings back pictures of the gospel of Jesus and the, the apostles walking around and then coming to faith because God healed them. And not that healings can't or don't happen today, they do. I think sometimes we're blinded by Western medicine and by unbelief. You know, Timmy was sick the other week and he was having a hard time breathing one night and it was real bad and we were praying. And then the next day his breathing was a little better, it started getting bad again. And I'm praying and I felt like, because I was worried, I felt like the Lord told me that he was going to be okay. And then later that night, his breathing got much worse, and he woke up with blue lips, and we took his blood ox, and it was very low. And so I rushed him to the hospital, and they gave him medicine, and his throat opened up, and he was okay. And the doctors were real worried looking at him. They gave him everything in the book, and they were rushing. So it was not like, oh, here, bring your kid to the emergency room. It was actually serious. And I was very thankful to God for that. But part of that was 
I prayed and I knew that he would be okay, but I knew that as a dad, having the doctor at my disposal, I was gonna do the wise thing and take him to the hospital right away and get him medicine. I wasn't gonna sit around irresponsibly and not let him be taken care of. Now there's a balance there, right? It's always about praying and doing it right, but I think sometimes people pray and think, okay, well that means I don't have to do anything. Well, sometimes it does mean that we pray first and then we do. And if God says, no, don't, I remember I was sick and I had COVID or something and I was coughing real bad and I was getting real scared. And God assured me, don't worry, you're not going to die. <laughs> He'd be right. It was awful, but I was, I got, the next day I started coming out of it. And I was about to go to the hospital. I never, I hate the hospital. I never want to go. And especially for me, I have to pay for me. I don't want to go, but I was about to go pay. So pray first. But we have these things, my point is we have these things at our disposal and part of that, I believe, is God's grace on us. It was a, a, a godly society that God blessed and was fruitful and was able to develop medicine as much as we have. Luke was a doctor, right? But I think we miss out on the things that God wants to do because of it sometimes. Sometimes we go to the doctor first. Sometimes we rely on medicine first. When maybe God just wants to change your behavior, change your attitude, and maybe you don't need that medicine that they're prescribing because that's not the real problem. The real problem for some things is just sin. It's you're depressed. Well, stop sinning. God bless you. And sometimes there are though. Sometimes we do need medicine. Don't, don't get me wrong on that. But a lot of these things can be more powerful, powerfully used in areas that are far more desperate for healings. And they're ultimately desperate for the gospel in America. We've heard the gospel here and we're not desperate for it anymore. We're desperate for anything. We're desperate in this country to get rid of the gospel, to get rid of God's influence, to get rid of holiness. Shame on us, woe to us, like Matthew said in 11, 21 through 24. The things that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah would exist until this day. And look at the things that were done in our country. And if we think that America will never fall or be destroyed because of its gospel past, well, don't take my word for it. Take the Lord's word for it. I think we're sorrowfully mistaken. And we can just look around and see the evidence of that. But let's go on. After, uh, verse 11, after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered on the island, landing at Syracuse. That's not New York. Uh, we waited there for three days. From there, we circled around and sailed to Regium. After one day, the south wind blew, uh, just like now we're getting... Uh, in Eastwind. There we found brothers and we were invited to remain with them for seven days. And so we went to Rome. From there, when the brothers heard of us, they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we arrived at Rome, the centurion handed the prisoners over to the captain of the guard. You got it? But Paul was allowed to remain by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So we see here, uh, uh, after they stayed on the island for three months, they finally got a boat. I mean, this place is pretty remote. I mean, how often does a boat get out there? I've heard, I forget the name of it, but there's like, you can look it up. It's the most remote island in the world and ships only go there every couple of months or something. We, I don't know if I'd want to live there. It'd be kind of cool to visit. But it took them a while to get off the island. Uh, and this boat comes, it's a, a, a Greek ship from Alexandria and it's got the twin brothers on it. And I looked in the commentary for what the twin brothers were didn't mention it so i had to go back on my own latin and greek history from high school and i believe it's romulus and ramus uh the the mythological two boys who were raised by wolves uh who ended up founding rome and there's more to it than that uh but this is like a ship that's got the figurehead of rome on it uh so they are going no place else but rome uh and so that when they get there they found some believers and i think that's interesting remember they're prisoners right but they still have this grace from Julius and the guards where they're able to go out and find friends. <laughs> they're able to walk around the city and find believers uh, in Italy. And so they get a little bit of grace, a little bit of shore leave. They're still technically, you know, they've earned their trust. They've earned their leave. Um, and I don't know that all the prisoners had that. But they found some locals and they found fellowship. And I bring that up because as we've moved around the country and traveled around the country, we've met believers when we do it, and anytime we move to a new place, I love meeting the pastors of the area, uh, different believers in the area, hear their stories, hear what it's like to minister there, what are their problems, what are their blessings, uh, finding out about their ministry. Just, it's always encouraging and a blessing to meet other believers. You know, we had uh, friends over a couple weeks ago for Good Friday, and some friends brought some friends, and the friends that came minister at the college in town, and that's like, 
their job and they're coming over in a couple weeks and i just want to have them over and talk to them and get to know them and hear about what they do for the lord i don't need to be friends with them but just to to hear that is just a blessing to get to know these other believers and have that fellowship and especially to find believers and you know some of our good friends live in florida but i met them because they were friends of a friend at a wedding and we both got stuck at the same table together and we just hit it off and we visited them out on the other side of the country and it's just you know when you find that fellowship it's it's sweet and it's important i think we need to be more open to meeting other believers especially as believers and ash was sharing about when she first came to church it was weird because everyone's talking to her i get it the world doesn't do that but we as believers when we meet other believers we should be excited hey you're a believer too a guy came from craigslist to buy an old like knockoff dremel that i had and we just started talking you know he started sharing some things and i started sharing some things He's like are you a believer i'm like yeah are you and it just we talked for a little while it was cool we didn't have to be friends but i invited him over that friday didn't want to come but that's okay but that's the point is that you know we meet other believers there should be that kindred spirit there more so than anything else and they don't have to look like us sound like us or anything but they've been forgiven like us and so they went on to rome uh again this wasn't a direct flight there were many many ships as we remember many many days and weeks they almost died twice imagine if you had to go anywhere and you have the risk of dying right i don't think i would go i would stay i would stay home if uh, it was going to risk my life to fly back to the east coast and visit family but it doesn't i can get on a plane in a couple hours i can get there i'm on the plane i've got my phone i'm watching movies i'm eating snacks you know maybe i'm a little scared when i get off in the terminals in newark or a jfk in new york city and i'm like get me out of here but i'm not really afraid of dying on the plane but that's the risk that they took. What a different time. And as kind of a side note, because it's my pet peeve, Daniel 12, 4, says, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. That, that's really for another time, but we take for granted how easy it is for us to travel around the world. Not just down into town to go to Super One, but to go to the other side of the country. They go to the other side of the world. I mean, we have, the, you know, if you have the app that we look up anytime, see a helicopter or a plane. And we were watching, we were at Home Depot while Ash was inside and the kids and I were watching these planes fly around. And we saw that they were like, uh, it's probably like a flight school taking off and circling and landing and stuff. But you look on that and you zoom out. My point is that the globe is covered with travel at all times. And we really take it for granted. And that's a sign of the end times. But it says that Paul took courage from them more courage lambano to take with the hand tharsos courage that he took hold of courage and what did that mean that paul was probably discouraged at this point that paul of all people the apostle of apostles wrote most of the new testament was not feeling it was maybe wondering god what's going on this is so long we're not here we're almost dead we're on malta i got bitten by a snake <laughs> you know not these people aren't necessarily coming to the lord what's going on i was on all these missionary journeys and now i'm stuck on this small island i'm trying to go see caesar and the long trip had worn him out. You know, the, the, Timmy was so good in the hospital, but by the next morning, he was worn out. He was worn out all the poking and prodding. He was exhausted. I don't blame him. That's what Paul was feeling. But God had a plan in that, and God would sustain that. And part of that was these friends, these believers coming from far away to find him and minister to him. And that's the power of fellowship. Uh, that's not the Lord of the Rings book. But believing friends who really love you can really encourage you. Now, I've got friends back East that I try and video chat with every couple of months. And it's such an encouragement to talk to them and hear their voice and hear what's going on with them. They don't even have to say anything. It's just laughing and joking sometimes. I think about when uh, Ash's dad died, when Bob died and we went back East and the church had split up and people were going to different churches. But many of us came back together that day and it was sweet. People just, did things without even asking like setting up and bringing things and making food and preparing and it was just this sweet time and what an encouragement in one of the hardest times of our lives when when bob died but we should take that courage in true friends it's okay to reach out i had a friend texted me the other day like sorry i haven't texted you back i'm going through something um and he's like i'm not ready to talk with it now he said 
things are okay, but it's I'm still keeping it kind of close to the chest. And I was like, that's fine, dude. Take as much time as you need. We'll be praying for you. But please, if you don't need to tell me now, tell somebody. Make sure that somebody's there to encourage you. That we don't need to go through things alone. And that's the that's another lie of the enemy that we're gonna go th- that we need to go through things alone. And again, you gotta share with the right people, but don't share it with nobody. But be and on the flip side of that, be that true friend to others especially believers, that we should do what's on our heart to do for the church. When God lays something on your heart to do it, when I say the church, I don't mean the building, I mean the people. Because Jesus said, John um, 13, 35, by this all you'll know my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's a mark of the true church, a church that loves the church. That Yeah, we don't have to agree on everything, but we love each other. Verse 17, let's go on. After three days, Paul called... Uh, the leaders of the Jews together. And when they assembled, he said to them, Brothers, having done nothing contrary to our people or the customs of our fathers, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were determined to release me because there was no charge against me deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, for for not that I had any charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, I have asked to see you and speak with you because I am bound with this chain for the hope of Israel. And they said to him, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers that have come have reported or spoken any evil of you, but we think it is proper to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect we know that it is spoken against everywhere. That Paul just can't stop. Remember why he's here? For preaching to the Jews. Remember who God sent him to? The Gentiles. But he can't stop preaching to his fellow Jewish people. And he's gotten some rest, he's gotten some encouragement, and he gets back at it. And right away, he goes back to the Jews, and he calls all the Jewish people together. And he's doing that very thing that got him arrested. And remember, in the beginning of Acts, Peter and the other apostles answered when they were arrested, and they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And that's the church on earth, that we should obey God rather than other people. When the government, when people say, don't have church, we will gather I get it. When during the pandemic in the first couple of weeks, you want to make sure that this is real and we are going to be safe. But after a while, when you realize what's going on and they're still shutting it down, well, guess what? We're still going to assemble. And the church in California is paying the price. They've lost to the state with millions of dollars, but they obeyed God rather than man. Doesn't mean that they might not have to pay man, but they're going to obey God. When man says to bless this sin, fly that flag, love is love. We say no. We say that's sin. We will not go along with that. When and we see all these sports players who are refusing to participate in, in certain nights when that's promoted, they say, no, I can't. I'm a Christian. I won't. I don't hate them, but I can't support them. And when man says compromise, we hold firm our faith. Man says, oh, you can get away with that. You can do that. Oh, it's no big deal. We say no, no matter what the cost is. That's the church on earth. Because if we're not doing that, then... Do you think Jesus would have done any of those things? Thomas Jefferson's motto, if my study is correct, says rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. That's a tough one. It doesn't say that in the scripture. Romans talks us about being subservient to the government, but only in the sense that we're to be good citizens under laws that obey God. As soon as the government tells me I can't do something to protect my children, As soon as the government comes after my children, the government tells me I can't protect them or do something or worship my God and do the things that God says, I will not obey the government. The government shows up trying to take my children, I will not obey the government. I will disobey them until death. That's my service to God. And I won't go off, that's a whole other message that I would give and maybe it's just a soapbox. But not that we cause chaos for chaos' sake, but when the world says to disobey God, it is our duty as the church to disobey that order and encourage others to obey God, no matter what that cost is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't know if God is going to get us out of this fire, but that doesn't matter to us. We're not going to bow down to you, O King, because we bow down to God. And verse 22, I don't know if they meant Christianity, the sect, or the Jewish sect that Paul came from. That was kind of rough. But it says it's spoken against everywhere. And I'm going to take it as the church because the world hates the church. When push comes to shove, no matter how friendly the world is with the church, how many tax breaks they give, when push comes to shove, the church will be shoved. And we should expect nothing less. The separation of church and state is not meant to keep the church out of the state. It's meant to keep the state 
out of the church. And there's historical evidence for that, no matter what they tell you. James 4.4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is being an enemy with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And the false church is at friends with the world. And, not, and I have friends who aren't believers. And I love them. And I try and be a good friend to them. And I try and share to them when it's appropriate. And even when it's not appropriate. So that, I, that's not what I'm saying. But when it push comes to shove, I'm not going to obey them rather than God. That's the same thing. We should not be a friends with the world to where God is not welcome. And I remember I saw this video, and I don't know that I agree with the guy's attitude, but he's walking through England, and he sees these nice-looking old ladies painting their church steps. And these flags and these colors that we know means abomination. And he's filming. He goes up to them, and he goes, Do you know God hates this? Do you know that this is an abomination to God? He's like, Do you know the Bible? He starts talking about the Bible to this lady. She's like, No, well, God is love. And he's like, Do you know the Bible? And she's like, No. He's like, Do you read your Bible? And she's like, No, God is love. He's like, do you read your Bible? God, God hates this. Do you remember Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Like, and they come back later and they put paint all over the church steps, which I enjoyed. But I'm also like, well, it's not really their property. Are they, you know what I mean? Like, there's a gray area there. But at the same time, I'm like, I know they're not king, but when Josiah, the boy king, was made king, what did he do? He tore all that stuff down because he had authority to do it. It was his right as king to do it. And man, I know I'm not king, but I want to tear this stuff down. I want to go and tear down billboards sometimes. But I can't, it's not my property. But I can pray. Maybe God will hit it with lightning. Maybe the power company will make a loose electric wire one day. I don't know. <laughs> but if your church, your pastor, your doctrine goes against the wind of political correctness, what's popular in the world, then I have to say you're on the right track. If your church agrees with CNN, I'd say you're not a church. You're somewhere else. Yes, we can use different methods and things to spread the gospel, different styles of music and dress and activities. But no, I can't compromise on what's right and what's holy and what the Bible is plainly teaching. And remember, Jesus said, the servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So if we haven't, expect, if we haven't received persecution, it's either we're not living brightly enough or, <laughs> um, I don't know. Sometimes persecution comes in different ways and it's coming. And persecution is the right of the church. We must, too, take courage. And we should be bold in that day because the world is not getting better. I don't think any of us really think it's going to get better. Uh, and America is not going to find favor and grace again. I think even if, and again, soapbox here, even if America repented today, I think, I don't know, God is gracious, right? And God's able, God saved Nineveh. But I think even if we completely repented today, I don't know that we'd ever get our footing back like we have. We've already squandered it. But maybe I'm wrong. And even, you know, what are we living for? Is it, are we Americans first or Christians first? And I'm a, I'm a proud American, but my duty is to the kingdom of heaven, especially as part of the church. Let's go on to verse 23 through 31, and we'll finish it out. It says, When they had arranged a day to be with him, many came to him at his residence. From morning till evening, he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God to them, persuading them, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and prophets. Some believed what was said, and some did not. Uh, being in disagreement with one another, they dismissed. They were dismissed after Paul had said one word. So Paul says his last thing to them, and they leave. He says, The Holy Spirit accurately spoke to our fathers through Isaiah the prophet. Go to this people and say, You shall certainly hear, but never understand. You shall certainly see, but never perceive. For the heart of this people has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. They have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it, Paul says. Paul's pretty upset that his own people are so hard of heart. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and disputed greatly among themselves. Paul remained two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who came to him, boldly and freely preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul was under house arrest here. But people came from all around to hear Paul preach, Jews, Gentiles, and Paul couldn't leave his home, but he was allowed to have them come into his house. And I love how God uses that. That's how God brought the gospel to Italy, was through a guy under house arrest for false pretenses. But Paul uses the Bible to explain the Bible to them. He doesn't come up with complex arguments. He doesn't say 
all crazy things. He simply goes back to the Old Testament, the stuff that they were familiar with, their testament, and he points out the things that the Bible plainly says, plainly says about the Messiah, and he points out how Jesus plainly fulfilled them all. And what happens when he shared the truth? Well, an argument was started, and that's what the truth does. The truth starts arguments. Not that we look for an argument, not that we want to fight, but when you begin to share the truth, an argument is about to come up. Uh, they say if you share, what is that, in a room full of 10 people, you'll have 20 opinions. But if you go to work and you share the gospel, or you share just a simple truth of the Bible, that God created the male and female, well, wait for an argument to start. Go do that at the mall. Go do that at McDonald's and wait for an argument to start. And you didn't do anything to cause an argument. You just stated a plain fact of truth. And I think people conflate it. Say, oh, well, it's, it, God said this. Well, yes, God said this, but it doesn't change the fact that it's a plain truth. That even if somehow God didn't say it, it wouldn't be true. It's truth. It's not just because he said it. It, it is the truth. And he said it because it's the truth. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 10, don't think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not. I came to bring a sword, set a, father, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Sometimes it's a little easy for the mother-in-law to be against the daughter-in-law. But a man's enemies would be those of his own household. And do we not see that today? Just politically, people just split down the lines of truth. You know, the truth doesn't desire a fight, but the truth cannot be at peace with a lie. How can the truth coexist? How can light coexist with darkness when it's blatantly false? It's one thing to be, and that's what's most relieving to me as we close here about the political arguments is see people who have different political execution beliefs than I do for what to do with taxes and money and roads and war and all that. But at the core of it, we all believe in free speech. We all believe in the freedom to do certain things, right? And so we can kind of unite behind that and later on get behind the politics of whatever and, and politic about it. But what's troubling today is that it's not even about that anymore. It's not even about, it's literally about good and evil. It's literally people, some people understand the truth and other people want the lie to be a truth and will shut up anyone who tries to tell that their lie is not truth because it's not politics anymore. It's good versus evil. And there's no fixing that. There's no coexisting with that. There's no reaching across the aisle from truth to a lie. We can reach across the aisle and say, okay, well, you want to give this much money here and that much money here. We can compromise on that. But there's no fixing this. One side has to recant and say the truth is not the truth. Or the other side has to repent and say, this is a lie. And that's not going to happen. I fear that more people are going to recant than the other way. But hopefully. So there's no fixing that. So our destiny as a country, it, it's not good. It's not good. But Paul rebukes them with, with God's own words about them. That, that's the end of the argument. Paul has been trying to reach out for the Jews for so long, and I think this was his moment, too, where he realized the Scripture is true. What God said, I can't fight against it. I can share the gospel with them, but they're not going to hear me because their hearts are hard, and God has said that, and that's the way God's going to have it. And I think Paul, Paul begins to use this for them, and he says, you know what? You guys don't hear it. You're the Jewish people, but the Gentiles will hear hear it the people who weren't of faith will come to faith whether and and that's the thing for us is that whether people listen or not they will hear it whether people believe it or not they will hear it uh romans 10 as we close here says uh my heart's desire and prayer is for israel that they might be saved uh i bear them witness and then romans 10 14 how then shall they call on him who have they have not believed and how they should believe unless they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach unless they are sent and it ends it says to israel all day long i have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people that god reached out to them all day long and they didn't believe and so as god reached out to the gentiles god would use the gentiles to provoke a jealousy among them and in the last days they will come back to faith but it's our duty to spread the gospel as the church as a believer to share it, to live it, and to love others, whether they believe it or not. It's not our responsibility they believe it or not. It's not my responsibility whether you believe it or not. It's my responsibility to teach it and hopefully help you believe it and help you walk life just as you help me walk life. But the blood is on other people's hands. If they don't like the truth, that's on, even if we share it poorly, it's still the truth. It's still up to them to separate the messenger from the truth. 
And Paul stayed there for two years sharing the truth with them, that this is Paul's retirement. Paul, God gave Paul a cozy seaside Italian Airbnb after all those years. Paul thought he was going right to trial, and no, God had different plans for him by the sea there uh, and his comfort of his new home. And how did he pay for it? Well, I, other people must have brought him money. But God is good. His plans for us are so much better than we can think or imagine. You know, in this age, as we close, the age of the church is still going on. That We live in the church age until the rapture. And the Holy Spirit is still moving in our day and age. And it will continue until the rapture when he steps away. And he uses the church. His gifts and his calling are irrevocable to the church. The gifts haven't ceased. I think we've just ceased believing in them. And the church should be expectant of Jesus' return, right? But we should also, just as much as we expect him to return, we should expect him to work in us, through us, and to the world around us ultimately uh, now and until he comes back. Because he's not left us orphans. And he wants us to be, I believe, by the power of the Holy Spirit from Pentecost until the rapture, the church. And what is the church? The body of Jesus. And where is the body of Jesus? On earth. So we are his collective body, like a massive transformer or whatever. And we've got God's spirit inside of us. And we walk around on earth doing the acts of God that he's commissioned us to do. And I'll leave you with this. Matthew 28. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So God's command for us is to be the church and to spread the gospel. And that's a commission for every last one of us, that we spread it and we love him and we wait for his return. So God, we do ask that you would return. Even now it would be great. But God, thank you for this beautiful day. And we ask that you would use us and let us trust you and look to you and expect you to work in and around amongst us. Let us not despise the day of small things. But God, may people actually hear. May they hear, may they listen, and may they believe by your word. God, we know your word is what changes people's hearts. Not a persuasive argument, but just simply your word. And even if they don't, let us keep preaching, keep loving, and keep waiting uh, until you return. So come soon, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So may God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. There is a vineyard of the Lord There is a vineyard for our soul With all our troubles left behind the door We drink first light until